This is Kelly. This is Jen. This is Heather. And you're listening to Whiskey Cats. <laughs> In this episode of Whiskey Cats, we taste Copper Fox's Wassman's Single Malt Whiskey. We discuss Char, Drake, and the veracity of story. What are we drinking today? Today, I have brought you a local Virginia single malt from Copper Fox Distillery. So, (laughs) a bunch of us were out hiking near Sperryville recently, and uh, in the town, quote-unquote, which is basically like an intersection, out at the foot of the mountain in Sperryville is this distillery called Copper Fox, and they make a lot of things. They make rye, they make a gin called virgin because mm-hmm. it's in virginia mm-hmm. oh, <laughs> and but i've brought a single malt and it's not the single malt that you can buy uh out in the abc stores it's um it's the wasman single malt blue wax bottle which is aged in port barrels mm. for 18 months so it's a little different um interesting from their regular single malt so okay so copper fox it's owned by this guy, John Wasmond, which is why the single malt is called Wasmonds. He apprenticed at Beaumore in oh. uh, Isla um, for a while. And then he opened his own distillery in 2005. And their first thing they sold was in 2006. So everything that they, most of their, their stuff is barley. It's local Virginia barley, um, except for the rye, of course. And they hand malt it. This is kind of like what they're known for. So they steep the barley in water for three days and then they lay it all on the malting room floor for a bunch of days and let it dry out. They do this all by hand. And then they they flavor the malt by sort of smoking it with applewood and cherry wood, like local apple tree wood mm. and cherry wood. Do you know how they do that when it's on the floor? Like, is it okay to just sort of puff it into the room? or Because you always think of smoking coming from underneath. That's a good question. <laughs> that we can ask them next time we go there. Okay. <laughs> So that's kind of their their thing. So their things are their their sort of cachet things are they they hand malt and they also, which I kind of feel akin to them, they accelerate the aging with chips of wood oh, <laughs> in the barrel. In the barrel. So they put them in little sachet like mesh mesh sachets, and they take oak and and applewood and they accelerate the aging of their. So they make little um, tea bags of wood chips yeah. and put it in the barrels. Yeah, <laughs> which of course now I want to try doing. Yeah, and that's did, the first time we've heard of that, of yeah. all the different accelerating. Do they char that wood as well? I think so, but I'm not 100% sure. But I think so, because the mm. idea is that it's it's, right. it's the same thing as aging. Like they went to, they, they talk about on their, um, one of the reviews that I read and talked about how they went to a competition and like there was a blind tasting that happened and people were guessing that it was like seven years older than it actually wow. is because they yeah. do this accelerated aging so kind of interesting wait so how old is it it's at least 18 months most of them are at least 18 months i think it's i think 18 months is what it is okay so that's what i brought you from copper box cool sounds amazing this? let's try it oh, oh. 
Look at that color. Oh, that's really beautiful. It's like this dark, almost cherry colored itself. It has like a red tinge to it. It reminds me of that um, little Bowmore that I brought back for you with the, mm -hmm. the rum cask. That it looks like that. It's that dark. So again, it's single malt barley aged in port barrels. It's been a while since we've had anything that's smelled like this. I'm trying mm -hmm. like a single malt. It's been a long time since we've had, had a single malt. It's a very distinctive. And you know, we've been talking about how we've been drinking lots of young stuff. And this, mm -hmm. I think, still qualifies as pretty young, year and a half. Um, but, but this accelerated aging. Accelerated <laughs> aging. I was going to say, it definitely doesn't... I mean, this is a very distinctive flavor to it. And it's not just all like ethanol. It, there's... No. Right. I think it's partly the barley... I think it's partly the the port barrel. I think it is the port barrel. I mean, like again, I don't know if that's just suggested to me, but mm -hmm. but I, I feel like I can get the. It's not it's not quite raisiny, but it's got that kind of um, almost like a sourness rich. to it, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, rich is how I would describe it. All right, let's try this. Hmm. Wow, it's very smooth. It's, it's really smooth. It's woody. Mm -hmm. Like I feel like I can um, taste the char. Or the wood of, you know, some aspect of it. I can definitely taste the port. And I think even more than woody, it really has kind of a grassy flavor to it. Hmm. There's something just weird, like, kind of acidic sour to it that I can't quite pinpoint. I'm not really sure how to describe it. But that's, like, where it's laying on my tongue. I like it. It is. It's really smooth. It's different. I mean, the smell, you know, if I stick my nose in it. Remember when we tasted our own experiment mm -hmm. and we felt like we were... In a campfire. Yeah. I, there's a little bit of that in here. Hmm. I'm not getting that. No. I'm not sure I get that either. There's like a touch of sweetness, like on the tip of my tongue. Then everything else is, it's like that richness of the port that's hmm. subtle, but almost molasses. Huh. It is very smooth. And then it doesn't, the burn doesn't hit me until in the back. Yeah, I get almost no burn. It's so funny. Yeah. Like last last episode, I couldn't even drink it because it was burning a hole <laughs> in the center of my chest. This, I don't feel at all. Yeah, no. there's no burn down on my chest at all. Although I will say my <laughs> lips are getting numb pretty quickly. <laughs> <laughs> Which is not quite the same as a burn, but it's definitely like mm -hmm. something good on there. But I, I don't know. I, I'm having a hard time pinpointing like flavors. Mm -hmm. I, I, this is a time I really wish I, we had the whiskey wheel with us. I know. So... As far as I know, you can only buy this at the distillery. I haven't found it anywhere. And there are no tasting notes anywhere for it. Hmm. You can't even find it listed on their website. You can't find anybody that's tasted it. Wow. I found the tasting notes for the non-port barrel. So just the straight single malt. I don't know if that's worth hmm. reading. Yeah, sure. Why not? Okay. So rich amber copper color. Intriguing aromas and flavors of suede, olive tapenade, Honey, dried fruit chutney, and clay with a silky, dry yet fruity, medium full body, and long, spicy orange marmalade on rye toast and root beer float like finish. Whoa! <laughs> Is that from the distillery? Uh, yes. That's amazing. That's like literally every kind of taste. I know. <laughs> I will say, I mean, it's almost like a fortune. Like, you know, you can like read into it whatever you want. Because when you first started, I was sort of like, oh, those, like those are not the flavors I I never would have come up with like olive tapenade. But what's the first one you said to you? Oh, uh, suede. Suede. And then mm. what was after that? Olive tapenade, honey. 
and chutney. Dried fruit right. chutney. Which, the dried like, fruit chutney. That whole like, first yeah. part of it, like, that felt to me very close to what I... The, the weird mm. kind of, like, sour but acidic kind of flavor. That, yeah. the, and that's... The olive tapenade and chutney is all kind of, like, in that, I think. Again, would never have said chutney or olive tapenade. No. But, but that's the flavor profile, I think. Yeah. For but, me. But then again, I also feel like when you said orange marmalade... And then on rye, orange mar- <laughs> not just orange marmalade, but orange marmalade on rye toast. Right. <laughs> I felt like the orange marmalade was getting there for me with the little bit of like like that bitter citrus that you're talking about, mm-hmm. but it's almost like pl- like plum. Mm, interesting. Like I'm picturing orange marmalade, and now I picture marmalade, marmalade. <laughs> Pardon me. Okay, Lady Gaga. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but I'm picturing like the inside of a plum. I don't know. I kind of feel that the root beer float like finish. I have to say, uh, absolutely not. No. no. <laughs> but but again, this it's not the one we're drinking. Right. And, and I yeah. I think I mean obviously we don't have the other one in front of us, but I think that the port barrel has affected this a lot. I mean, yeah, yeah I agree. It's definitely that kind of like, I mean, it's not raisiny the way a port is raisiny, but it's got that kind of, I don't know, that, aura to it, yeah, you know? Undertones. Yeah, undertones. I wish I had both. Mm-hmm. I will say that they, so I've tried, the only other one I've had from them that I remember, we tried a lot of things at the distillery, but a friend has the rye at their house mm-hmm. and it is exceptional, like super spicy. So if you have to like a yeah. spicy rye, mm-hmm. it's really good. I, I do remember liking their rye a lot. Ooh. It's yeah. very distinctive. So I like that this place make. I mean, I think they're they're interesting. I'm trying to think of what, like, how would you make a cocktail? What would you make this into if you're making a cocktail? Would you want to? I know. Would you want to? It's re- I really like it. Like, it's different. It is different. Yeah. I, I'm I'm finding it very hard to compare it to anything that we've had recently. Yeah. yeah. It's just it's it's definitely it's, unique. It's a different category completely. And it does taste older than it is. I think. Mm-hmm. I think so too. And how much? It was not cheap. Uh, it was at least 75 and okay. it could have been closer to 90. I was trying to remember, but I remember it, that it gave me pause <laughs> in the store. And then I was like, no, of course I want to, you know, I wanted to take one home. And this was the, of, of everything that I tried, this is what I liked the best. Mm. The single malt, I did not enjoy this. Is, and I don't, I don't remember what it tasted like. I just remember there was no question for me hmm. at the tasting that this was my favorite. Did they say which port barrels or just port barrels in general? Uh, they probably said in the distillery. Mm-hmm. Again, there is like literally no information on the internet about this product. <laughs> in fact, I couldn't remember. I pulled it out. It doesn't even say it on the bottle. I pulled the bottle out to be like, all right, I got to write up my notes for this. Do-do-do. And and I was like, what made this special? And I couldn't remember. I'm like... Was it sherry wood? I like my immediate thought was like, oh, maybe it was aged in sherry wood. Yeah, nowhere on it does it say. I couldn't remember. I had to like do massive googling, and then I found one review that said, oh, and they also make the blue wax label. That's wow. Um, oh, that is port. Man. Um, sidebar: the wax is all they do it all by hand. They hand dip the wax yeah. tops, which is very nice. But it's so I wish that I had taken notes. I like looked back in my phone at the photos that I had taken, but. A, I had just hiked seven miles. <laughs> <laughs> so you were like, just B, give me all yeah. the whiskey. <laughs> just like, give it all to me. Mm-hmm. B, I did not even take a photo of this bottle. <laughs> like, uh, I was, I don't know what I was doing that day. But Well, here's the real important question. Yes. Did you meet the distillery dog? 
They had a distillery cat. Oh, well, they, they, that's right. They have two cats too, but I thought you would like the dog because it was a big fluffy dog. I didn't meet the dog. Oh, well, so I was there a couple years ago. Hopefully the dog is still around, but I can't even remember what kind he was. He was just like this big fluffy dog that just like laid down in the middle of the... Oh my uh, God. Obviously, if that dog had been there, yeah. I would have basically made out with it. So, <laughs> uh, there was a cat that was... Um, we'll, we'll post a picture of this cat. This cat was sort of like sprawled out on a beach towel on a couch and I sat down next to it and started squishing on it and it was like purring like mad and then, and then my husband promptly showed me the sign above it that is like please don't pet the cat Aww. what the cat is old and does not like to be agitated I'm like oh <laughs> but she was purring yeah you probably weren't agitating her I know she was really cute she was uh so they have a distillery cat that's the only creature that I met mm. Should we quickly do a little water? Oh, sure. Yeah. Just for... God, you don't smell that smoke? I feel, like, feel like all I can smell is smoke. Oh. Well, I have mixed feelings because it definitely, <laughs> like, I mean, not to be obvious, waters it down a little bit. But it's it has a very strong flavor to begin with, and I don't mm. hate it with water. It is, it's, it's almost nice to mellow it just a, just a little bit. I like it both ways. I don't hate. I don't dislike it with the water, though. Yeah, I don't dislike it either. And I was prepared to be like, oh, I don't like it. I feel like it actually brought out the sweetness for me. It did. Yeah, I think so too. Which is Rare. opposite of what we usually find with adding water to it. And I feel like it's not the like the thick molasses flavor that I was getting before. It's more of a demerara brown sugar flavor that I'm getting now. It hits my throat more with water. It's so opposite of what yeah. I would have expected. Mm-hmm. But like, I feel it more here. I feel like it's more smoke. It's funny that like neither of you are getting any smoke, no. and I'm like, it's even more smoky now. <laughs> <laughs> so like in this, you know, bottom part of my throat, I feel like it's. I can all I can think of is smoke. Maybe it's psychosomatic because I've been like thinking about the accelerated aging. But well, this is gonna sound funny, but I like. I think I know what you're identifying as smoke mm-hmm. and I'm just calling it something else. But I think, but like, if I'm like smoke, 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 I'm like, yeah, that's the same smell. So what, are you that call, what would you call that? To me, that's the kind of like weird raisiny flavor that I can't, that's not quite, it's not raisin, but it's got that kind of like, d- like dark, like fermenting is not the right word, but you know, <laughs> drying in the sun kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so maybe we're both, feel, maybe we're both getting the barrel yeah, quote unquote, like right. some part of the barrel, because both of those things would be imparted from that. But we're yeah. just getting it at different. Chemically, there's probably some thing that we're tasting differently. Oh, cool. Well, well done. Yeah. that we might be getting from the barrel, but maybe we're tasting different things. Mm-hmm. Last episode, <laughs> we talked about alligator char, and it made us think about how far in the wood does char go, how does it vary, depending on how much you char the wood, all that stuff. So, um, you know, this concept of char, like, what does it really mean? So the parts of the wood that are involved in a char are hemicellulose, 
lingon, tannins, and oak lactones. Some of these things we've talked about before. Mm-hmm. I think that Heather and I are tasting different. We're each tasting different ones of those. We are. We have a stronger oh. palate for mm. one of these things that are brought out in char. Okay. This just occurred to me now as we tasted this. Interesting. How yeah. nicely that our tasting fits into science core. I'm very happy. <laughs> okay. So those are the four things that sort of like are impacted when you char wood. And hemicellulose is, is really important because at 284 degrees Fahrenheit and above, um, it breaks down into wood sugars. And that allows for a little bit of um, caramelization on the inside of the barrel. Mm. So that's where Very you nice. get the sort of caramely flavor. You're making me want to lick a barrel. <laughs> <laughs> Lingen, which we've talked about before, is also important because that's where the vanillin Mm. which is vanilla, um, and spice come from. But you have to be careful because if you char it a little bit, you get the vanilla flavor, and if you char it too far, then you move into more spice. Mm. So it's like a delicate balance. And then the oak lactones um, give you this woody coconut flavor. And the more you char it, the less oak lactone you get. Okay. So so as you burn wood, all these different flavors sort of go up and down depending on whatever they are. I think that like I am sensitive to oak lactones and mm. you are sensitive to what else? Maybe the hemicellulose or the lingon. Like wow. this is my guess. But anyway. Okay. So it's tricky. So so we were talking about how like what is alligator char versus a light char and what does that mean for how deep it goes into the wood? And so basically char levels are rated from one to four. That's there's light to heavy. A number one char is for 15 seconds. So you burn it for 15 seconds. Wow. Okay. Number two is 30 seconds. And number three, which is apparently the most common, is 35 seconds. <laughs> and Splitting then hairs. Yeah. And then the number four char, which is the alligator char, is 55 seconds. Oh. Wow. You're really tearing it up in there. Yeah. You're like, you're burning the shit out of it. So that's one to four from 15 seconds to 55 seconds. And then... That basically goes, like, the number one is one-eighth of an inch into the wood. Mm-hmm. And an alligator char is a quarter of an inch into the wood. Wow. wow. I'm going to draw... So I have a number... figure that I've drawn up that we're going to post on the internet. Yeah. <laughs> so the number one is 15 seconds, and, then yeah. the, and the alligator char is 55, 55 seconds. And so that's double the distance, the double the oh, Double the, the depth. depth. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. That yeah. It, it becomes harder and harder to get into that depth. Right. Huh. And as you move from those different chars from 15 to 55, all of those different things, the lingon and the hemicellulose and the oak lactones, all those things are either like get they're getting intense and then they go down and mm. all that stuff. It's like this totally delicate Oh, balance. yeah. I want the whole chart. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm working on it. I'm working on it. It's happening. It's happening. Missy, uh, Missy, this is where we got to start keeping records of all of what we taste and like what we individually taste because then I want to go back and be like, okay, so what do we like? Because we don't know all this about everyone that we've tasted, but we know about some and like mm. how do they start to measure out and we can really figure out like oh, well, maybe I'm tasting this and you're tasting that. And and I feel like we could come up with a way. This is so science of me. I'm sorry. But like, like <laughs> no apologies in science corner. <laughs> That's right. That's right. We don't apologize in science corner. Um, whatever, like we have different sensitivities to different things. I feel like we could come up with like an index of flavor, yeah. right? Like who is sensitive to vanillas? Who's sensitive to the tannins? Who's sensitive, oh, which I forgot to go over, but who's sensitive to the oak lactones? And mm-hmm. then... 
and different, you know, whiskeys that bring that out. I yeah. have a whole grand scheme. And of knowing like, that uh, for the char out. in the in the wood in the barrel seems so much more scientific than going by like the tasting notes and what we taste and what we don't because the tasting notes themselves are so subjective. Mm-hmm. Right. So th- yeah, that would be very sciencey. Yeah, and a lot of this this um, the char depth and sort of especially the oak lactone work comes from UC Davis's viticulture and enology program, of course, because sure. they're like the wine people. <laughs> and so all the wine people, like they have quantified this stuff. And wow. so they have really thought about it. But the only figure that I could find from them was just about the oak lactones, because for wines, that's one of the most important. Mm-hmm. The tannins yeah. page was like all equations. And I was like, oh, you know what I'm going to talk about? Like, I can't. But give me that one. Maybe I'll like it. <laughs> I know. I'm like, why, why did I not go into this field? Because I could work in this lab at UC Davis, 100%. Um, <laughs> but anyway, okay, so our big question was really, how deep does it, the char go? Mm-hmm. The answer is quarter of an inch. <laughs> yeah, how deep does it go? Yeah. That's exciting. That's really interesting. Yeah, it was fun, and I'm, I'm really enjoying the figure that I'm putting together. <laughs> uh, I hope that you enjoy it as well. Will there be baby animals involved? <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> Amazing. Possibly. Uh, yeah, so that's, uh, that is Char. Well, you know who else is getting into the whiskey business? Who? Who? Could you guess? I mean, could you possibly guess? Justin Bieber. Gwen Stefani. Okay, fine. You're very close. (laughs) Drake. Oh. <laughs> and by our pal, I really don't know what that means because we're way too old to be listening to Drake. So I have Every, one Drake song. Do you? On my phone. I think doesn't he do the do the call you on your cell phone song? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Which, because of Gwen Stefani and Blake, isn't it? Because yeah. they sung that song. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Correct. I know there's the video where he dances really weird. That's the call Is that you it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So he's making a whiskey. He's Let's get back to something we do know about so, whiskey. So yes, Drake is getting into the whiskey business. It is going to be called Virginia Black. Uh, along with his pals uh, Diddy and Jay-Z and Fitty Scent, who all have liquors to their own name. So now he is sort of the oh, next one. And so I think it's becoming been... his like own brand. <laughs> what I can say is what Drake had to say about this whiskey. Oh, what did he say? We believe everyone should have access to glamour, swagger, and soul. Virginia Black grants them that access, allowing people to embody the lifestyle always, not just on special occasions. Wow. So does this mean we it's going like, to be can like you, a... Can you blast in a Drake song behind me <laughs> while I'm saying that? So does that mean it's going to be like a $30 bottle, bottle of whiskey or like a... So it doesn't yeah. have a release date okay. yet, so we don't know. But that's actually what this article said too, is they thought that was like an indicator that it was going to be fairly affordable. Yeah, so like, oh, also he announced this um, through his ad on an Instagram video, because that's how we do in 2016. Oh, of course. Uh, yeah, so we'll just have to wait till it comes out. We have no idea what it tastes like. The bottle is like, I think they're very kind when they describe it in this article as saying, the branding evokes 1970s disco and funk vibes down to its gold labeling. And I would more describe it as the most hideous thing I have ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> It's a glass 
bottle, like picture like a, you know, a perfectly like rectangular glass, like liquor bottle, but all four of the, all four of the edges are, you know, pushed in. So it's, it's like a diamond, but it's not fully a diamond. It's just the corners that are pushed in. And then there's like rough, like lines going for each one. It's super, super like seventies horror show. So it's made in Virginia. Um, I guess it doesn't actually say anything about the whiskey at all. Um, except for, um, he worked with, oh, I guess Drake has lots of names like Dizzy and Drizzy and stuff. So. <laughs> when you were like, Dizzy, I'm like, is that what he's going by right now? I don't know. No, that's, he's our era. We know who Dizzy I know. Um, so it says Dizzy worked with Brent Hawking to create the American whiskey brand. Um, he previously created, um, De Leon Tequila, which he eventually sold to Diddy and Diageo, our pals oh, at Diageo. Interesting. So, um, yeah, we'll just have to wait till this comes out. Um, and of course we have to end with the great kicker of this article. We do have one question for Drake though. Why didn't he make a Canadian whiskey? Oh, oh man. I like Pretty good. Part. So that's our entertainment whiskey news for the, <laughs> for the episode. So I have I have an interesting article for you. Um, it does it's not necessarily whiskey related, but I felt it was so apropos that I that we needed to discuss it. So the Tampa Bay Times came out recently with an article called Ooh, "Congratulations Pulitzer Prize Winners." By the yes, way, yes, yes. I forget how many, but it was it, it, was, it was a, a few, lot. Yeah, yeah. Um, not for this article, but no. maybe we'll see next, <laughs> next year. Maybe they'll win for this year, article. This year. <laughs> Uh, so the Tampa Bay um, Tampa Bay Times article called "Farm to Fable" by Laura Riley, and it basically goes uh, investigated how we really talk about a lot of the whiskey brands that we talk that we discuss here on Whiskey Cats. Um, they talk about grain to glass mm. is the sort of the key phrase. Um, this we are, call them charming. The charming yeah, whiskeys. They, they're the very charming, charming whiskeys that we love so much. Fun factory whiskeys. That's how I categorize Fun them in my factory. mind. <laughs> the drummer boy. Yes. The drummer boy. They have stories to tell and they give you information or you have to dig for information about how they're made and where they're made and like there's usually a bucolic setting that this whiskey is farmed at and the grain comes to the distillery and then there's cats and rainbows and everything. And <laughs> it's usually either local or it's historical. Yes. That's, those are like the two branches those go down. Exactly. So unfortunately this article has nothing to do with whiskey per se, but it does investigate the claims about farm to table restaurants and whether or not those claims are actually true. Hmm. Basically, what this food critic, restaurant critic in, in Tampa Bay did was she investigated over the past like two months. Hey, she did this in two months, which is amazing. Went through each farm to table menu, which was about 239 menus or wow. 239 restaurants. In Tampa alone? Yeah. And How much then, could possibly be grown local unless they're all orange restaurants? <laughs> so, but of those 239... It's a good one, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so out of the 239, only 54 made claims about, like, on their menu or on their chalkboard or somewhere in the restaurant that said, our food comes from locally sourced or somewhere something about the location of their of their produce or or any of the food that they're serving. So they actually DNA tested their fish. Whoa. 
they called any of their vendors or produ- producers, and then she also visited farms to follow up on these claims. Wow, that's too much. That's is. reporting, man. Yeah. That is. That's why that they went Pulitzer's over there. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. They talk about how, um, you know, there's this really long list of restaurants who are willing to capitalize on our hunger for the story. And they talk about how we want a story. We want the story attached to our ingredients. We want a story attached to the restaurant. And one of the quotes is, folks think they need a story on almost everything on their menu. Like so, uh, like that's so these, crazy. So these restaurants are just basically saying that this beef is local, this chard is local, and again, going back to the whiskey brands, just to bring it back to whiskey, we want that charming whiskey. Whiskey, mm-hmm. we want to know where are the grains from. We want to know the story behind the glass. We want to know how it came into being, and make sure that it is like you know legitimate or authentic. Mm-hmm. And they talk in the article about how people want local food and they're willing to actually pay a premium for it. And so that sort of sets up the article and that people are willing to pay a premium. And so restaurants are like, if you're willing to pay a premium for it, we're going to capitalize on mm-hmm. this premium. But she, in her investigation, she finds that food supply chains are so vast within the country itself and making them very, very complicated. And so actually sourcing from local and actually just sourcing food in general is complicated and, and can be opaque. Um, this is a really interesting uh, interesting quote from the article saying that the national biggies are Cisco and U.S. foods, basically implying that a lot of restaurants across the U.S. use Cisco and U.S. foods as suppliers for anything from pre-made dishes to just straight up produce. And then goes on to say smaller Florida-based companies include Cheney Brothers and, and Wayan. Then there are specialty distributors such as Master Purveyors in Tampa or Culinary Classics in Orlando. Most restaurants do not have the time or wherewithal to deal directly with farmers and producers. Most farmers and producers don't have the infrastructure to do their own sales, marketing, and delivery. And so the storytelling begins. So basically... Hmm. Restaurants are saying that they have the infrastructure to parlay directly with farmers, but she's saying there is no infrastructure for restaurants to parlay with farmers. And so Hmm. it's just, it's a whole, like, just facade. Yeah. So you'd basically have to get vans and do everything yourself if you wanted to do such a thing. Correct. Um, One of the other pieces of the article, she goes into, well, what about government oversight? What about regulation? But there is no regulation to anything that's claimed to be local. Mm -hmm. So you can just slap a label saying it's local, but it means nothing because your definition of local can mean something vastly different from my definition of local. And so without, say, say, um, a regulation saying what is local, anyone can claim to say they have local whatever. So in Florida, they have what's called a Fresh from Florida program, but it's basically an honor system. And again, it's not <laughs> regulated. And it's it, the impetus for the program is basically to try and get restaurants to source more product from Florida-made product. Mm-hmm. But it just sort of has the opposite of that. They're just slapping it on, on everything because oh, they are Florida. And that's pretty much where it is. And there's a lot of misunderstanding and misperception because of it. Hmm. And then... Um, she goes on to talk about how um, 
misrepresentation violations within food inspectors is something that can happen within that system. Um, and in the past two years, inspectors found 750 food misrepresentation violations, but only 123 of them were fined. And fines can can range from 150 to 300 dollars. So incentives <laughs> there are it's nil. Yeah. And when she talks about misrepresentation violations, it's actually has nothing to do with food provenance. It's more of like saying you're it's veal, but really you're serving pork. Oh, so like real misrepresentation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then the other thing that she found within this investigation is that producers who are actually local, say like there's a pig farm who is producing, who has pigs and they're butchering and selling them and saying that, yes, we are a Florida pig farmer, blah, blah, blah. And here's our pork that we produce on our Florida pig farm because our pigs stay here and there. We raise them here and we butcher them here. Mm-hmm. That actually is a very time intensive process and so there's a premium on that product and so restaurants can't actually afford to purchase Mm. that product and when they do purchase it or if they don't purchase it they maybe they did it once or twice but then they can't really afford it down the road they still keep that that farm's name on the menu and so they're benefiting from the farm's name and the farm is getting nothing from it wow now, does the does the article broach this at all? The fact that I think that people want to be lied to, that they don't really care about the provenance yeah. of their food, because like my the example I think of is fig and olive, which is like mostly a local story, but it's kind of national because they had locations in California too. And like to be brief about it, like a bunch of people got super sick, like salmonella, and uh, they started in bed, like the Washington city paper started investigating into this and they were like, you know, all these things they said were like house made or house grown, like we're all come prepackaged or frozen, which is a little different than local, but it was all but basically still. this story. And it was like, after that happened, there was no slowdown at this restaurant. I mean, it's still one of my friend's favorite restaurants to go to. And <laughs> there's just like, people just don't care. Like, I think they yeah. are fine being lied to. They want, they just want to be in that scenario like they want to you know they want to be in a restaurant that's like that and not a tgi fridays because that's uncool right right and so she actually does address that that there's um apps that actually you can look up fish um and there's this other app that you can yeah jose andres i think is one of the big um Mm -hmm. i forget what it's called now but but he has a whole application about like making sure your fish is sustainable yeah and and basically it's these apps actually aren't doing well because and it says why some customers might not like what they read that fresh fish was caught more than a week ago complicated truths of the reality of the entire food industry um there's always a ragged edge to innovation that famous farmer Joel Saladin said the only path to greater transparency in our food system is consumer activism. And and basically it's uh, at the end just comes down to ask questions and be prepared for the answers. You might not like it, but you have to, you You know, you should know. I always ask where the fish is coming from. I always ask because I, especially salmon, because I think salmon farming is terrible. And so I always ask where the salmon is from. And there have been a couple of restaurants where I've asked about it and they tell me it's farmed and I'm like, no, I'm going to have something else. And the chef will, has come out to me to be like, can we talk about why you don't want this? Really? Yeah. And wow. so how does that conversation go? It's, it's been interesting. He's like, can you, I want to understand why you object because I care about my kitchen. I will say this is one thing for NRG here in DC. Sometimes I, you know, I love them to death because we had our wedding reception at one of the restaurants and like we <laughs> eat there all the time and they're wonderful. But they, I've always wondered, like, how much is, how much of their ethos is, like, real and not. And at Evening Star, 
was one of the first times that I asked about the salmon and the chef came out to talk to me about it, like sat down at the table and was like, tell me why you're asking me. And we had like a 20 minute discussion about what farmed salmon does to the ocean and then, you know, like, I felt like I was listened to and, yeah. like, he actually cared about it. This is sort of off topic. No, but it's, it's like, but it's like, this is, like, there are places that actually care. Yeah, And I sure. will totally, I will patronize those places, yeah. like, all the time. Well, and so we're, but we're also kind of talking about two different things now. We're talking right. about, like, real, like, things that harm the earth and right. harm and ecosystems and, you know, the environment. And then we're talking about, like, charming stories. Oh, yeah, so absolutely. Kind of, but, you know, you're right. I mean, right. I think that's, like, that's great. And they're definitely, like, people who care and who are serious about that. I mean, like, you know, we just had this Copper Fox, you know, like, mm-hmm. they're local. Like, they clearly, like, really care. They put a lot of, you know, work into it. And right. that's, you know, and that's great. Like, you know, I think to us, that's the kind of charm we're looking for. Yes. It's just people who, like, really care about their product. And it doesn't necessarily have to have some, like, charming made-up story behind it. Right. But, Clearly, for a lot of places, they're still going for it, and it works. Seriously, go read this article. It is amazing. It is only specific to Tampa Bay restaurants, but, you know... Not really, though. <laughs> but but not really. Like, yeah. farm-to-table is everywhere across the U.S., but uh, again, to bring it back to whiskey, you know, looking at who is saying what about where they're producing or sourcing their grain, where that grain is coming from. Is it really, you know, from Walla Walla, Washington? Is it, <laughs> is it really, you know, is it really from somewhere in Virginia? Is it, um, and, and again, any, the only recourse we have is just asking and really asking the hard questions mm-hmm. and being okay with the answers. Mm-hmm. So that's it for another episode of Whiskey Cats. Thanks for listening. You can find us online at whiskeycats.com or again, email us at whiskeycatspodcast at gmail.com. And please subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at whiskey underscore cats. And if you want to call us with a question or a comment or a whiskey story or any of those things, you can call us at 202-760-2009. Thanks for listening. Cheers. Should have ended with a Drake story. <laughs> <laughs>